Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Rat Chat. I'm your co-host, Sophia Shoemaker, and joining me is my other co-host, Lucas Mann, and the legend himself, Paulo Carey. Alright, Paul, you want to like introduce yourself and tell us what you're on here today about? Hello, I am a senior from Franklin County High School, and I am here to talk about math. Alright, so I guess uh, we're going to start at the very beginning. Um, when, like, do you have a defining moment in like your personal life that you realized you were super into math or that you had like a passion for math? Honestly, I feel like my interest in math kind of began in eighth grade because I remember very vividly in seventh grade not having the funnest time under this one teacher. In retrospect, she was a really good teacher, but she would give out like these really advanced assignments. I remember one time I got like a 30 on this assignment. It was it was actually combining like terms. Yeah, I got a 30 on combining like terms, but that's that's old news. Uh, she went off on me and the other kids who did really badly because we had an entire week to get peer help, parent help, all that stuff. and We just bombed it. So that kind of got me going straight there for a minute. Uh, going into eighth grade, though, I began taking Algebra 1 and Geometry, because back at Franklin County, you can't take Algebra 1 in seventh grade, and Geometry in eighth grade is a very competitive thing. They only let 20 students do it out of the whole school. So that's kind of when it kind of began for me, I'd say. And I remember doing really well in both those classes, and I was just having a blast for some reason. And it, the two periods were right next to each other in terms of time. So I'd go into Algebra 1, get out, and then go into Geometry, and it was just a whale of a time. And I remember very vividly getting a 100 on the Geometry final exam, and I was so ecstatic. Um, yeah, and so since then, has your, like, has your interest in math been like a constant thing, or has it been more like, uh, like ebbs and flows depending on the class that you're taking? Honestly, it has been going constant. I will say, I think it kind of died down a little bit in Algebra 2. Um, though I did I did do some weird little like theory things here uh, involving the quadratic formula that I'm not going to get into, but I did explore that a little bit. So there definitely was interest. I just think it wasn't as high as it was now. It definitely kept increasing, I'd say. So I had a question. So it's obvious that those classes before your higher level classes, like algebra and calculus, help you develop those skills that are more foundational to your understanding later in your math career. What do you think caused that shift that really made you be like, yeah, I get this and I want to apply this to something that I'm really passionate about? Honestly, I think it was kind of the beginning of Algebra 1 that made me really interested in, it, interested in math. I can't really pinpoint it exactly, but I think it might have been the environment. I'm not really sure too much, though. Uh, I think one thing that also mainly kind of laser-focused my interest in math was my interest in space and just astrophysics and all that wacky stuff. And at the root of all that, it is math. So yeah. this actually does bring back a memory that I'm just remembering. There was this formula... Uh, it's the gravitational forces formula between two masses. Uh, I'm sure some of you have probably heard of it. It's F equals big G times the mass of object 1 times mass of object 2 divided by the distance between the center masses squared. And I remember going through this formula and just plugging in random things a lot back in 8th grade. It was a recurring theme pretty much all year. And I think that might have been, honestly, what kind of just started my interest. And then going into Algebra 1, it was kind of a cool class in my opinion, so it just kept... It definitely helped it there. So you think once the skill became something that was less abstract and more actually applicable to the real world, you kind of you really got that interest in it, and it really kind of developed from there. Yeah, I think once it became applicable to some of my other interests is when it started becoming a lot more interesting. Though, I will say, even though the classes that I'm taking now are a bit more abstract and the applications seem to be a little harder to apply, I still really enjoy it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, like, I guess you've kind of transitioned, like, your, your, like, your gateway into math was, like, I can connect, like, my algebra class to, like, space or, like, when I'm interested in astrophysics. And then you've kind of branched off in doing math for its own sake in classes like multivariable calculus. Uh, is that accurate? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's about accurate. Okay, cool. Um, I had a different question. Um, do you have – this is a bit of a out of left field, but do you have a favorite mathematician? Well, I wouldn't say he's necessarily fully a mathematician. He's an astrophysicist, but at the end of the day, they're kind of one of the same thing. So – Neil deGrasse Tyson, he created this book called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, and I read that in eighth grade, and that was where I saw that formula for the gravitational forces, and that, I'd say he's definitely someone I aspire to. Be. So is that like, was Neil deGrasse Tyson like um, part of the reason that you're interested in space, or part of the reason that like you connected math and space together? I had always been interested in space since I was a little child. I was one of the ones who would like cry in the shower at age four because the universe is going to end in a trillion, well, more than that years. So I would say he's definitely more of a connector, but he was definitely important there. Okay, you mentioning that book made me really excited because that is probably one of my favorite books. And I actually read it for the first time in sixth grade. So of course my little like peanut brain was like, I don't really get this, but I love the analogies. And then I read it again a couple of years ago, and it is by far, like, one of my favorite books. How did you even get, like, introduced to that book? Did you just randomly pick it up, or was it recommended to you? Actually, I found out about this book because I had been watching many years prior and up to that point. I had been watching a bunch of documentaries. I was a big documentary child. I wouldn't really watch movies. I would go on Netflix and be like, all right, time to watch a black or a documentary about black holes mm -hmm. or planetary formation or national geographic i was big into that too but it was mainly the space stuff so of course naturally there's a lot of neil degrasse stuff in there so i wanted to see if he had any books and he did so mm -hmm. i ordered it and read it and is theoretical physics something that you would be interested in doing as a career or is it more of just a hobby for you i guess well i acknowledge that theoretical physics is important i don't think i'm gonna dabble too too much in it because what I mainly want to do is aerospace engineering, which focuses more on the practical things of like, how can this structure survive this environment? Or how can I make this structure go into this orbit? Mm -hmm. But it might be like Apollo Carey, like aerospace engineer by day, like theoretical <laughs> physicist by night, doing a little proofs, you know, before bed. Like, is that, you know, potentially, just because you seem to have such a passion for it, and I feel like that's something that's cool to nurture, even as you grow older. I mean, I'd say that's definitely a possibility, but if it were, like, a aerospace engineer by day, blank by night scenario, <laughs> it'd probably be, like, if I kept being passionate about it, it'd probably be game developer by night. Gotcha. Interesting. I, could, I just imagine, like, Paula sne uh, sneaking into the NASA wind tunnel at, like, 12 in the morning. Um <laughs> gotta do this for my thesis like that's that's a very funny image now um, that i could see myself doing something like <laughs> <laughs> not not going to lie i have i have done some wacky things as some of you may know so i could definitely see myself doing that yeah so um one of the classes you're taking this year um as we've all we all know is multivariable so what is your favorite thing about uh, multivariable as a class Honestly, I think the craziest thing for me about multivariable calculus is the whole three-dimensional aspect of it because it really, at the start of the year, it was really hard to get visualizing in three dimensions because you basically go from, like, here's a flat surface that I can see everything about to here's a three-dimensional shape that to fully visualize I have to be able to rotate in my head, and it gets really wacky. 
And of course, there's the whole z variable. So now instead of y equals, it's vector function equals i, j, k, or once we get into it, f of x and y, and it gets kind of wacky there. So was it like a was it a big like um, conceptual switch in your mind to go from like okay this is two D calculus or two D algebra to like okay we're now we're doing this in three dimensions and I need to kind of shift how I view math I guess in general. Yeah, it is it is definitely a big shift because a way to think about three dimensions is it's like an infinite subset of two dimensional planes. Can you oh, hold on a minute? Can you can you elaborate on that a little bit? <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. So. Basically, if you stack a way to visually represent it, I'll talk about a visual way to represent it and a mathematical way to represent it. If you have a bunch of two-dimensional planes and you stack them on top of each other infinitely, you're going to generate a three-dimensional oh, okay. surface, right? Yeah. Sorry, not surface, but object. So that being said, a way to mathematically represent it, if you have a function of three variables, x, y, and z, and let's just say you set z to zero. Now it's a function of two variables. It's a two-dimensional function. So if you change z to like an infinite number of like an infinite or any non-zero value yeah if you change z to be anything that is like non-zero and you just use like an infinite amount between say like zero and one then you can represent a three-dimensional object in terms of 2d planes so it's kind of more about like cross sections in some regards um yeah Gotcha. And I just wanted to bring this up very briefly. I know we didn't want to dabble too much while talking about the fourth dimension, but I have heard that one way people try to visualize or at least like represent the fourth dimension is by taking it down a dimension. So like making the comparison that like um, two dimension, like the two dimension is just a cross section of the three dimension. How do you feel like how that's applicable to like three to four dimension or even like to higher dimensions like do you think that can be applied to higher dimensions do you think that's something that's really just exclusive to the second and third personally i think i think yes it is applicable but obviously it's kind of not really helpful to explain a visual representation but from a mathematical standpoint if you were to have a function of four variables as opposed to three um setting that fourth variable or any variable really to zero will generate a three-dimensional object so if you have a fourth dimensional object that is between two values of that fourth variable and you represent three-dimensional objects where that fourth value is an infinite subset between mm -hmm. those two values then you would generate a fourth dimensional object made of three-dimensional I want to say cross-sections, but I don't really know what to call yeah, it. Yeah, because cross-sections kind of imply something that's two-dimensional. Yeah, so yeah. to kind of like break this down in the layman's terms, you can take a basically like a very, very small slice of a two-dimensional um, like plane, right? Like you've got your x-direction, you've got your y-direction. You can take one small slice, and that is a one-dimensional object. And if you string enough of those together, you get two dimensions. Well, you can do the same thing with two dimensions. You take a, or with like a three-dimensional figure, you take very small slices of that and stack it together, and you can make a three dimension. And so I guess you're saying that that mathematically makes sense, but it might it might be harder to visualize that than it is with like two or a three dimensional object. Yeah, okay. anything that involves those infinities are going to be kind of funky to really visualize. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So I actually. I actually read a book um, called Death's End by uh, Shizen Liu. Um, and in the book, it talks about, like, what a fourth-dimensional, like, a plane of existence would, like, look like. And the way it was described in the book was that you could, like, see, like, you, you would look at a person, and you could see, like, kind of, um, 
every like cross section of them as it went through it went through like you could see their organs and their heart beating and stuff and you could like reach in and interact with it um how how do you like visualize like nth dimensional stuff or like how does it do you, do you is it more like a visual thing or is it more like a purely mathematical thing when you're like talking about stuff like this actually this is a great question because i was actually thinking about exactly what you just said the other day when i was walking my dog through my neighborhood um so from a three-dimensional standpoint, we are three-dimensional beings, and we see in three dimensions because, of course, we have depth. So if you're looking at a two-dimensional plane, even if you have to, like, go really far away from it, you can still see every aspect on that two-dimensional plane. And from a two-dimensional standpoint, if you think about visualization from a two-dimension, which is kind of odd, but if you think about it, you can So, like, if you are a creature that exists on a two-dimensional plane. Yeah, and you were just yeah. kind of looking around, you could see every aspect of a one-dimensional line. You would just maybe have to back up a little bit to see all of it, but you could see it. So, I hypothesize that a fourth-dimensional being that sees, of course, in four dimensions could see every aspect of the three-dimensional world. Yeah, so, like, all, like, I guess to us, you'd be able to, like, see through walls, but in the sense it's, like, you're not really seeing through walls, you're just seeing, like over them in a sense to like compare to the 2d analogy um it's very it's very counterintuitive um or it's kind of like hard to visualize obviously by nature right yeah um but that's that's something that i've come across in like reading my own uh, reading novels and stuff that i thought would be interesting to talk about i also think um, a more a more interesting comparison if you had a circle on a two-dimensional plane right from a two-dimensional being standpoint it would just look like a wall but from a three-dimensional standpoint, you see not only the wall of that circle, but also anything that is inside of that circle. So from a fourth-dimensional standpoint, going to that wall analogy you said, it would be like you would see the front of the wall, the back of the wall, the top of the wall, the bottom of the wall, whatever's inside the wall. You can see every aspect of the... If it were a brick wall, you could see every aspect of the mortar holding the bricks together, for example. That's a that's a great analogy. That's way more like eloquent than I would have been able to say it. Um, yeah, do you have any... I mean, Final questions? I don't think so. I mean, that this is a really nice conversation that kind of devolved into talk about the fourth dimension, <laughs> but I think this stuff is super interesting, and I think the student body enjoys stuff like this, hopefully. Um, but yeah. Any, uh, any closing thoughts, Paula? Closing thoughts? Uh, I mean, I could go on a whole other tangent, pun intended, about higher dimensional objects, but I think that's, that's oh, it's no. not the time for it now. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you. We really appreciate having you on this podcast. Thank you for having me, y'all. Yep, and for all those viewers at home, we'll see you next time. See you guys.